tonight to Deuteronomy chapter 32 in our Bibles. As Lord willing, um, we'll go through Deuteronomy 32 tonight, and then Lord willing, next week we're going to actually finish the book of Deuteronomy. And so that means we're going to finish the Pentateuch, you know, the Torah. And I was thinking about that. I'm like, wow, Lord, um, it's been a long time. Um, I'm blessed by the new people that God is bringing. I'm so blessed. But I'm just curious, who, is there anybody here who was here when we started the book of Genesis, just out of curiosity? There's a Shelley was here. Okay, let's see here. <laughs> okay, so there's a few of you, huh? Man, how long ago was that? I think that was like seven years ago. And so um, we're going to finish the first five books of the Bible, known as the Torah, Lord willing, next week. And so maybe we'll do some type of celebration next week. I don't know. Um, keep it in prayer. But today we have a really, it's kind of a tough chapter. It's a song that God told Moses to write. He wrote the song. And uh, many would consider it kind of like the national anthem for Israel. And so what we read right here, it doesn't even, when you read it, you're like, man, how can this be a song? You know, but whenever you put music to it, and again, remember, this is in the Hebrew language. It's not in English, so I'm sure, you know, it sounded different. Um, but you know how it is. Whenever you put music to it, uh, there's something that can just kind of keep it uh, in the heart, help you to remember it. Um, the other day I went to a sporting event, and you know how it is when you go to those sporting events, they always sing, you know, the national anthem. And, and so it would be something that would always be there in the forefront of the life of the children of Israel. And there's a few things that take place there. Um, but the primary thing, to be honest with you, is a warning. I mean, think about it. If the national anthem was always a warning to the people to be obedient, that'd be cool, huh? That's the way it was for Israel. But not just a warning. We're going to see it was also words of comfort because, you know, Israel was God's chosen nation. They're God's chosen nation, and they're still God's chosen nation. It's a word of warning, but it's also a word of grace. It's like, man, you guys are going to mess up, and I'm going to spank you, but I want you to know that in the end, I'm going to deal with all those other nations, and you will still be mine. And it's really cool when you look at it that way, and you kind of have that, that beautiful balance. Um, you know, one of the songs that we sang today, a beautiful song about the heavenlies, it, it really captures, I think, the essence of what we're going to see when we get to the end of the chapter today. Because um, it, although Moses didn't finish the, the race of ministry, man, it was kind of like there were still things left undone. The beautiful thing was he was going home. God said, we're going to see it later. Uh, you're going to be gathered to your fathers now. You know, and I don't know how you see that, you know, but to me, when I think of me going to heaven, when I think of me, when I get older and, you know, who knows, you know, all the loved ones that will die before me. And when God tells me, you know, you're going to be gathered, you know, to your fathers now, to your loved ones now. I mean, to me, heaven, you know, you guys, this is really what it's all about. We want to be obedient on earth. We want to do everything we're supposed to do. Probably not going to because I know there's a lot of us that have failed already in so many ways. We're not half the man that Moses was, if you really think about it. But ultimately, ultimately, you guys, one day we're going home. We're still God's people. And that's the beautiful thing. And we're going to see that in our study today. Um, really, really cool, cool chapter. Kind of difficult um, but um, thank God we don't have to sing it. You know, we could just study it. 
Uh, look what he says here in verse 1. He says, Give ear, O heavens, and I will speak. And hear, O earth, the words of my mouth. Let my teaching drop as the rain, my speech distill as the dew. As raindrops on the tender herb and as showers on the grass. Here we see a solemn introduction and it points out really the importance of the instruction that's about to be given. Moses wants, because God wants, everyone to give ear. He says right there in verse 1, give ear, you know, heavens. He wants everyone to hear his teaching and his speech He wants it to kind of like fall down on good ground and and be beneficial like dew and drops and and showers on the grass, you know. It kind of reminds me of Isaiah 55, 10 and 11, for as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven and, and do not return there but water the earth and make it bring forth and bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth, God says, it shall not return to me void but it shall accomplish what I please and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. It kind of reminds me of that. Moses right here, he's just saying, man, let this word fall like grass and let it, you know, just touch your life and keep you green and keep you fresh and keep you growing and keep you obedient as God's people. And then he says in verse 3, 4, here's the reason I proclaim the name of the Lord, man. Ascribe greatness to our God. He is the rock. His work is perfect. For all his ways are justice. A God of truth and without injustice. Righteous and upright is he. Because you know, he's going to share about how God is holy. And how God gets angry at sin. And how God will discipline the people that disobey him. That's God. And things happen in life and calamities happen in life. And sometimes it's just because of sin. But sometimes, you know, we live in a fallen world and, you know, you can't really put your finger on it. But sometimes it's because you, I, we have sinned. And you might wonder, well, Lord, I don't know about this. This is a really tough thing for me. And, you know, some people will begin to question God and they wonder about this world that we live in. Why is there so many calamities and why are there earthquakes and all that kind of stuff? You know, and God just wants to just set it straight right off the bat. You know, I'm a just God. You need to know that. He says right here, you know, the, the greatness to our God. He's rock. His work is perfect. Listen, all his ways are justice. Don't let anyone ever accuse God of being unfair or unjust. You see, it's a declaration, it's a proclamation of the name and the nature of the Lord, who is the great God. He calls him the righteous rock. You know, and one of the things that's kind of interesting is the word rock is found nine times in Deuteronomy, but seven times in this chapter. So when it comes to, you know, his relationship with us and his relationship with Israel, Israel wasn't a rock, huh? They were like up and down and all around. They were so unstable, so inconsistent, so unfaithful were they. But God was the rock. God is the rock. He never changes. He's always faithful. He's always just. 
And here we see the word rock represents stability. And John MacArthur said it's one of the principal themes in the song, emphasizing the unchanging nature of God in contrast to the fickle nature of God's people. Huh? The Hebrew term uh, depicts God as a rocky summit where one may find safety and protection. Within a covenantal context, which is what we're reading right here, it serves as a reminder to the people that God has committed himself to their protection in return for their allegiance. You know, and and when you're loyal to the Lord, man, you've got his protection. And, you know, it's going to be amazing. I'm not saying you're not going to go through trials, but, man, you'll be in his perfect will. But when you're disloyal to the Lord, the walls of protection, so to speak, fall. And you're open game because you put yourself there. You see, and that's what he's sharing with us. His work is perfect. For all his ways are justice, a God of truth. And without injustice, righteous and upright is he. One guy said this, the Lord is blameless and righteous in his dealings. But what we see is that Israel acts corruptly and perversely. And so it kind of verses 1 through 4 are kind of an introduction. But then in verses 5 through 18, really the, the, the message is, um, it's just tragic that God's people did not stay true to him. How foolish when he was, is so good to them. And God is so good to us, isn't he? Wouldn't you guys say? I mean, in so many ways, the colors, the sounds, the, the food, the friends, the love, the salvation, the forgiveness, the freedom. He is so good to us. How foolish it is that oftentimes we're not loyal to him. And that's kind of what we, we see next. In verse 5, it says, They have corrupted themselves. They are not his children because of their blemish. A perverse and crooked generation. Do you thus deal with the Lord, O foolish and unwise people? Is he not your father who bought you? Has he not made you and established you? I mean, they corrupted, it says there in verse 5, themselves. Who did it? They did it to themselves. A lot of times we're like going to blame our wife or our husbands or our kids or our situations or my boss or whatever it is. Don't blame them. They corrupted themselves. And if we go that route, we only have ourselves to blame. He says right there, you know, it's hard to tell whose children are they. Because verse 5 says they are not his children. But verse 6 says they're, you know, God's their father. Sometimes it's kind of confusing. You're like, man, I thought you were a Christian. I thought God was your father. I thought you were one of God's kids. It, It doesn't really add up right now what's going on. You know, and he says right there that God did three things that were so incredible. Number one, he bought them. Again, notice right there in verse 6, is he not your father who bought you? And just out of curiosity, now that we're Christians, what did he pay for you? The blood of his son. You're like, wait a minute, time out, man. Didn't God buy you? Secondly, another thing that's pretty amazing is he made you. You ever think about that? God made you. God made you. You're fearfully and wonderfully made. And then the third thing is he he says that he established them. God did a great work, you know, nationally. God does a great work personally. 
If you have a New Living Translation, in verse 6, it says, Is this the way you repay the Lord, you foolish and senseless people? It's weird, huh? You know, they had forgotten what God had done from them for them from the very beginning. In verse 7, it says, Remember the days of old. Consider the years of many generations. Ask your father and he will show you, your elders, and they will tell you, when the Most High divided their inheritance to the nations, when he separated the sons of Adam, he set the boundaries of the peoples according to the number of the children of Israel. And what he does now is he takes them all the way back to the time that God actually formed the nations. Here we see how God chose them as a nation from the very beginning And we see from the very commencement of nations, Israel found favor with God. You know, and if you think about that for a second, it's not that God doesn't love other nations. It's just that this one right here was going to be set apart. This one right here was going to be different. This one right here was going to be used as a vessel to the world. And he's saying, man, I don't get it, man. I mean, if you think back, look at the way that God chose you. From all the nations. And you are not living for him. You know, and even if you think about us, you guys, as Christians, you know, what percentage really are we? I mean, you know, they say that Americans claim that 80% of America is Christians, but we know that's not right, right? And within that, you know, we're probably, you know, talking like, you know, maybe of those who profess to be Christians in America, you know, maybe what? 10%, maybe less. And so, you know, we're thinking maybe, I don't know, I don't think there's a billion Christians on the earth. You know, there's a small percentage. What I'm trying to say is that God chose you from amongst the billions of people. He chose you. And you won't obey him? And that's what he's trying to say to them. And this is not just, you know, a religious thing. Look at how intimate it is. Verse 9, for the Lord's portion in his people, Jacob is the place of his inheritance. He found him in a desert land and in a wasteland, a howling wilderness. He encircled him. He instructed him. He kept him as the apple of his eye. You know, I mean... God's portion, God's prize, so to speak, in this whole thing is, is you, is, was Israel. You know, that's how intimate this is. When Jesus was dying on the cross, when Jesus was suffering for us, it says that he endured it for the joy that was set before him. And that joy is you. And you've got to make that personal, not them, not the person next to you, not the person behind you. You. This is what God thinks of you. He chose you. You're his portion. You're his inheritance. He died for you. And, you know, when he chose you, it says right there in verse 10, he found him in a desert land, in a wasteland, a, a howling wilderness. He encircled him and he instructed him. I mean, just all these things, man. He kept him as the apple of his eye. Think about that. We know if you get a chance, read Ezekiel chapter 16. It talks about how they were going to die, man. They were just going to die. There was, and then God walked by one day and saw them. They're struggling in their blood. 
And God said, live. And then he made them. If you read Ezekiel 16, he made them beautiful. Beautiful. And that's what he's saying. You know, you guys, I chose you. You're, you know, surrounded with my protection, teaching them, again, the the word of God, and keeping them, notice, as the apple of his eye. You know, and this is a beautiful, beautiful expression. Um, The apple of the eye in the Bible is in reference to the pupil of the eye. And just as the pupil of the eye is essential for vision and therefore closely protected, so God closely protected Israel. You know, um, from what I I understand, the apple of the eye or the pupil of the eye has the fastest reflex in our bodies, the eyelids, right? Did you know that? The fastest reflex in your body is your eyelid, right? And so if there's an object coming towards your eye, instinctively, intuitively, and immediately, your eye closes in one one-thousandth of a second. Think about that, right? And so like John Corson said, so when calling us the apple of his eye, God is saying, when danger is headed your way, I am there to close you in and to take care of you and to treasure you and to protect you as you would treasure and protect your own eye. For God, it's instinctively, it's intuitively, it's immediately that he would surround you with his protection. I mean, and I think about this, maybe it's because I'm weird. I don't know if you guys ever think about this, but do you ever think of what would happen to you if God let down his shield of protection? You ever think about that? If he totally let it down? It would be like, a, a, like, you know, like coyotes eating my dog Chip or something. It would be no match. The lions immediately, the lions come in immediately, immediately. You would be maybe not even dead. You know, the enemy would probably rather torture us. But see, God protects us. But when we disobey him, what ends up happening is we lose elements of that protection. And that's kind of the whole point here, you know. You know, reading the Bible, three times the um, apple of the eye is in reference to Israel. We find that here in Deuteronomy, Lamentations chapter 2, verse 18, and Zechariah 2, 8. So there it refers to Israel, but it's also applied to the believer individually. We read that in Psalm 17, In verse 8, it says, keep me as the apple of your eye. Hide me under the shadow of your wings. You guys, we need God's protection, and that's what Israel had, right? And so we even read this so beautiful in verse 11, as an eagle stirs up its nest and hovers over its young, spreading out its wings, taking them up, carrying them on its wings. So the Lord alone led him And there was no foreign God with him. He made him ride in the heights of the earth. Isn't that so cool, man? He rode high in the heights of the earth that he might eat the produce of the fields. He made him draw honey from the rock and oil from the flinty rock. I mean, here we just see Moses is just saying in this song that God had totally blessed them, man, protected them like the apple of his eye, you know, um, just constantly watching over them. And then as an eagle, you know, soars. And, and you know, I don't know if you guys have ever seen that. The eagles are, are, are bad, huh? They're, I mean, you know, good, bad. They're, they're incredible. I saw a really crazy video. Eagles are powerful. I won't tell you what I saw. But anyways, 
oh man and anyways you know they'll they'll stir their young up and they'll try to help them fly teach them how to fly they start you know flapping around and if they're going to fall you guys know what the eagle does right it hovers down right underneath it and and it, and it catches it on its wings and so on the whole process of growing and learning to fly there's protection even from the fall. I mean, it's a beautiful picture, isn't it, of what God does in our life? You know, that's a beautiful thing. You guys are growing. You guys are learning how to fly. You know, and God's going to, you know, take you through trials and do different things. And, you know, a, a lot of times it hurts. It's a struggle, but it's all part of the process of you growing. But he's not going to let you hit the ground. He's going to catch you. And he's going to bear you up on eagle's wings, the Bible says. And that's what the Lord said. And, he's, and he rides high in the heights of the earth. One of the things that's kind of cool, it says he made him to draw honey from the rock and oil from the flinty rock. And that's like weird. You're like, wait a minute, honey from the rock, oil from the flinty rock? And what that's in reference to is in the most unlikely places, you find the most wonderful resources. You know, and you find yourself maybe today in a difficult situation, but God is able to take that difficult situation. There you are between a rock and a hard spot, and he's going to give you honey. There you are between a rock and a hard spot, and he's going to anoint you with the oil of his Holy Spirit. All I know is this, and what Moses is trying to say is this, man, that, that God is so good to his people. He's so good to us. He's so good to us. Why would we not obey him? Why would we kick against the goats? Why would we go our own way? This doesn't make any sense. You know, but Israel did. You know, we see that here. And it just breaks our heart, you know. In verse 14, it says, Curds from the cattle and milk of the flock with fat of lambs and rams of the breed of Bashan and goats and the choicest wheat. And you drank wine, man. You had the big fat blood of the grapes. You know, you had everything, man. God just took care of his people. But it says in verse 15, Jeshurun, which is another name for Israel, they grew fat and they kicked. <laughs> it's like a little baby just kicking. God says, you kicked. You're like, get away from me, God. They kicked. You grew fat, you grew thick, you are obese. Then he forsook God who made him and scornfully esteemed the rock of his salvation. They provoked him to jealousy with foreign gods, with abominations. They provoked him to, to anger. And they sacrificed to demons, not to God, to gods they did not know, even to new gods, new arrivals that your fathers did not fear. Of the rock who begot you, you are unmindful. And you've forgotten the God who fathered you. I mean, it was idolatry. It was heresy. It was, you know, negligence. And yet Hebrews said, how can we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? 
You know, and I've been trying to communicate. And sometimes, you know, you still counseling sessions or whatever it is. You get to talk to different people, man. And how we've Americanized Christianity. We've Americanized it. Christianity is a cross. It's a cross. If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself. Daily take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. I promise you. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the Gospels will find it, right? And that's, you know, we just have to be so careful that we don't Americanize it, that we don't tell God to follow us. God, follow me. God, bless my plans. This is what I want to do. That's so wrong. It's just not life as a Christian. Life as a Christian is, God, I'm going to follow you. You know, and here they just went, and they just kind of went the way of the world. I mean, where did they learn about all these demons? You know, where did they learn about all these idols? They learned about it from all those people that were around them, right? And they, when it says they grew fat, what that basically means is they, were, they just had everything they wanted. And a lot of times when you have everything you want, then you forget God. And so that's what ended up happening. They forgot the rock. In verse 19 it says, And when the Lord saw it, he spurned them because of the provocation of his sons and his daughters. And he said, I will hide my face from them. I will see what their end will be, for they are a perverse generation, children in whom is no faith. They have provoked me to jealousy by what is not God. They have moved me to anger by their foolish idols. But I will provoke them to jealousy by those who are not a nation. I will move them to anger by a foolish nation. For a fire is kindled in my anger and shall burn to the lowest hell. It shall consume the earth with their increase and set on fire the foundations of the mountains. Now, when you study the, the history of Israel, you know, in reading this right here, you're like, okay, they had a bad day and then God zapped them. You know, you read this and you're like, is that how it works? No. God warned them for literally hundreds of years. Hundreds of years he would send them prophets rising early. And to warn them, and Jeremiah, and Ezekiel, and Isaiah, and the prophets would come and say, God, God wants you to get your life right. God wants you to get your heart right. God wants you to stay, start taking this relationship with him seriously. This is not a social club. This is not just a mediocre, average gathering you do on Thursdays or Sundays. This is about your heart. This is about obedience. And he would warn them and warn them. And since God didn't really like get them right away, they just kind of kept doing what they did. And they kind of go up and down a little bit, up and down a little bit, until eventually it was just really, really, they were really far out there. That's when God brought this down. See, God is very patient and long-suffering with us. You know, but we just really, you guys, man, I don't think it's asking too much to obey him. I don't think so. But that's so hard for Americans, I think, sometimes. It's hard for everybody, I guess, because of our sin nature. But God says, man, I'm going to hide my face. And to me, that's verse 20. That's like the worst thing, you know. Lord, you can take, you know, my house or my job or, or whatever it is, my health. But Lord, don't hide your face from me. 
don't hide your face from me. And some people, maybe you're here tonight and, and God has just hidden his face from you. And what that means is that, you know, your quiet time and your time with the Lord, there's no substance to it. That you're just kind of going through the motions and you kind of know how to do it. And you know, like, kind of like how to go through it. And there's emotions there, but there's not communion with God. And maybe there was a time when there was, and you know what that's like. And you're not there anymore. To me, that's, that's the worst. But see, that happens, you guys. And we need to get back. And God's just waiting, not all of you, but for some of you here, God's waiting for you to, to repent and to make that decision that you know you need to make to do the right thing. That's what happened. They provoked God to jealousy. One of the interesting things right there in verse 20, it says, children in whom is no faith. No faith. You know, and we know for the children of Israel, eventually that would become a big stumbling block because they were so caught up in what? In works. In works. And they didn't have faith. And if you read Romans 9, 10, and 11, so God had to put them on the shelf. God grafted in the Gentiles. Why? Because they wouldn't accept it by faith. By faith. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. When the word of God becomes the final authority in my life. You know, some people think faith is, oh, I know what faith is. Faith is like, I'm going to name it and claim it, man. I'm going to get, you know, a million dollars. That's faith, man. I'm going to do something great. You know, I'm going to, you know, whatever it is. I don't know what the great thing you think you're, that faith really is. No, faith is just taking God at his word and being obedient to his word. Even though sometimes it doesn't make sense to us. But we know that, hey, this is God, and you know what, I'm, I'm, you know, I always try to tell people. Today, we, Henry and I, we had lunch at our sale park, and we ran into a couple right there. Uh, I don't know if they were, I think they were just friends, but a guy and a gal, you know, and just trying to share with them, you know, he's all, well, I need to see it. I need to see it. And uh, I'm like, well, you know, you can't see the wind. You can see the effects of the wind. He's all, yes, I can. I'm like, dude. <laughs> We're just talking, you know. I said it takes more faith to be an atheist than it does to be a Christian. That's for sure. But anyways, um, you know, just the whole faith element of it, a lot of times we get confused and we think it's something that it's not. You know, faith is taking God at his word and following through. It's putting one foot in front of the other with both eyes on Jesus. It's trusting him. Trusting him that... He's got a better plan for your life than you do. Trust him. He's so awesome. But if you don't, he's going to get pretty precise in his punishment. So you got to sing this national anthem, okay? Verse 23, I will heap disasters on them. Can you imagine singing that all the time? (laughs) I will spend my arrows on them. They shall be wasted with hunger, devoured by pestilence, and bitter destruction. I will also send against them the teeth of beasts with the poison of serpents of the dust. The sword shall destroy outside. There shall be terror within. For the young man and virgin, the nursing child, the man of gray hairs, I would have said I will dash them in pieces. 
I will make the memory of them to cease from among them. Had I not feared the wrath of the enemy, lest their adversaries should misunderstand, lest they should say our hand is high and it is not the Lord who has done all this, for they are a nation void of counsel, nor is there any understanding in them. God gets specific with his punishment, disasters, arrows, hunger, disease, wild beasts, serpents, the sword. We even read about the terror within in verse 25. You know, for everyone, the young man, virgin, nursing child, and man of gray hairs. And we read right there in verse 26 that God, you know, probably would have wiped them out completely. But we see that Israel right here was a testimony to who God was. You know, Israel may have completely collapsed and wiped off the face of the map, not just devastated, but disappeared if it were not for the witness that it would have left on God's name. And so, you know, if that had happened, if God had completely wiped them out, then perhaps the pagan nations may have thought that they were the reason and the Lord was an illusion. And God said, no, I'm going to spare them for my own glory. This nation right here struggled, but we're going to see that God in the end does an incredible work. Again, verse 28, it says, They are a nation void of counsel, nor is there any understanding in them. I like what we read in verse 29. God says this, Oh, that they were wise, that they understood this, that they would consider their latter end. And God just said, Man, oh, it's kind of like that's what he wants. You know, you guys... You know, think about it in the end. You know, one day when you die, when I die, when we're at the end of our life, you know, what will we have wanted to do for the glory of God? And, and how do we want to finish? Well, then you've got to work towards that now. And you, and you think about those things now, you guys. What will your children say of you? What will your friends say of you? Not that we necessarily do things to please man, but we have to have integrity and character. And, you know, like Stephen Curtis Chapman said, you know, I, 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 I want to die seeking Christ. I wanna, this is what I want to be doing in my life. He said, oh, that they would consider their latter end, you know. And, and the Lord says things like that a lot of times. Psalm 81, 13, oh, that my people would listen to me, that Israel would walk in my ways. I would soon subdue their enemies and turn my hand against their adversaries. Oh, God says that my people would be that way. Isaiah 48, 18. Oh, that you had heeded my commandments. Then your peace, check this out, would have been like a river and your righteousness like the waves. Jeremiah 5, 31 is a heavy verse. It says, The prophets prophesy falsely and the priests rule by their own power and my people love to have it so. But what will you do in the end? You know, you can probably go down to the church down the street and they'll tell you what you want to hear. Right? You can find somebody, somebody that will tell you what you want to hear and you're cool with that and you go with that and you heap up for yourself teachers like that, friends like that who are not really friends. But God says this, what are you going to do in the end? Huh? And so I like Psalm 90 verse 12. It says, so teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. The NLT says it this way, teach us to realize the brevity of life so that we may grow in wisdom. You know, life's going to go by fast. You make your decisions and your decisions make you. 
That's why you have to make good decisions today. See? You know, God tells them to think this through. Okay, think about this. Verse 30. How could one chase a thousand and two put ten thousand to flight? Okay, stop for a moment. One chasing a thousand. Okay, you're like, how can that happen, right? I mean, something's crazy right here. How about two chasing ten thousand? God says, think about that. How could that happen? He says right here, unless their rock had sold them and the Lord had surrendered them. For their rock is not like our rock, right? Even our enemies themselves being judges. For their vine is the vine of Sodom and of the fields of Gomorrah. Their grapes are grapes of gall. Their clusters are bitter. Their wine is the poison of serpents and the cruel venom of cobras. Is this not laid up in store with me, sealed among my treasures? God says the only way these things could possibly be happening is that our rock has sold us. The Lord has surrendered us. And, you know, even the enemies knew the difference. What had happened when all this was taking place, man, is God was keeping something in his vault. And God would discipline his children. And if you're here today and you're a Christian... You know, sometimes uh, a lot of the discipline that we experience, um, well, I shouldn't say a lot of it. Well, some of it is sometimes teaching or preaching. You come to a Bible study and you're like, man, you know, that guy's mean or whatever. You're like, you know, it's convicting or, man, you know, what's he talking to me? Or I go to studies. I listen to studies all the time, you know. And so, you know, so I get it too. Don't worry. I go on Tuesday mornings and raw, you know, he beats me up every Tuesday. So don't think you're alone. But that sometimes that verbal discipline is part of it. Uh, sometimes it's circumstantial discipline. It'll be physical dif- discipline. It'll be even just an emptiness within your soul where you can't find the face of God. But God will discipline you because you're his kids and he loves you. See? But he's still your father. Now, these other pagan nations right here, God is going to say something here that's pretty interesting. He says, okay, I'm dealing with you. Okay, now I'm going to deal with them. 35. Vengeance is mine and recompense. Their foot shall slip in due time. For the day of their calamity is at hand, and things to come hasten upon them. For the Lord will judge his people and have compassion on his servants when he sees that their power is gone and there is no one remaining bond or free. He will say, where are their gods, the rock in which they sought refuge, who ate the fat of their sacrifices and drank the wine of their drink offerings? Let them rise up and help you and be your refuge. Now see that I, even I am he, and there is no God besides me. I kill and I make alive. I wound and I heal. Nor is there any who can deliver from my hand. For I raise my hand to heaven and say, as I live forever, if I wet my glittering sword and my hand takes hold on judgment, I will render vengeance to my enemies and repay those who hate me. I will make my arrows drunk with blood and my sword shall devour flesh with the blood of the slain and the captives from the heads of the leaders of the enemy. Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people, for he will avenge the blood of his servants and render vengeance to his adversaries. He will provide atonement for his land and his people. And and mixed throughout that, we find God's rebuking Israel, God's you know spanking Israel, but God is also judging the non-believer. 
And you know, if you get a chance, I encourage you to read Isaiah 63, 1 through 6, and Revelation 19, 11 through 16. And I love that description right there, man, of God coming down and judging, smiting the earth. And one day, you know, he will. And so God, he shares this whole thing. This is the song. This is our national anthem. You know, listen to me. I've taken care of you. So I love you. I'm so good to you. It doesn't make any sense that you, my children, would disobey me. And if you're here today and you're not a Christian, you need to become one, man, because you're under the wrath of God. And what you need to do is to come to Jesus Christ so that he would cleanse you of your sins. This is very important. Look what we read next in verse 44. It says, So Moses came with Joshua, the son of Nun, spoke all the words of this song in the hearing of the people. And Moses finished speaking all these words to all Israel. And he said to them, Set your hearts on all the words which I testify among you today, which you shall command your children to be careful to observe all the words of this law for it is not a futile thing for you because it is your life and by this word you shall prolong your days in the land which you cross over the jordan to possess i like verse 47 i highlighted that it's beautiful words you know he says man these are not just idle words for you they are your life right Kind of like we read in Deuteronomy 30, 19, I call heaven and earth as witness today against you that I have set before you life and death. These are life. This is life for us. Proverbs 3, 18 says she is a tree of life. That's what it is. Proverbs 4, 20. My son, give attention to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Do not let them depart from your eyes. Keep them in the midst of your heart for they are life. The word of God, God's way, this is life for us. Even later, we're going to see ultimately in Revelation 22, 14, blessed are those who do his commandments that they may have the right to the tree of life. You see, God wants us, man, to have that life and that more abundantly. You know, I don't know where you're at. I don't know what you're going through in your life, man. You know, and I know we go through hard times, man, but we do not have to be defeated. You're like, well, you don't know, you know, my situation, man. You know, this person in my life, man, they're like a thorn on my side, you know. And, and yeah, we have thorns, huh? Not no one here, but, man, the other people out there, right? <laughs> you know what, though? Even if you have that, you know, don't make excuses, you could still be right on for the Lord. Paul the Apostle had a thorn, huh? A thorn in his flesh. We don't know for sure what it was. It could have been a physical, you know, infirmity. But it says literally there, it says a messenger of Satan to buffet him. Hmm. Maybe it wasn't a physical infirmity. Maybe it was a person that just kept coming against him, kept pushing those buttons. Whatever you do, don't make an excuse and say, well, you don't know, God, you know, my life is different. No, God God can give you victory. You can be a man or woman of integrity no matter what your situation is. That's what he's saying, man. And so we close in verse 48. It says, And then the Lord spoke to Moses that very same day, saying, 
Go up this mountain of the Abarim, Mount Nebo, which is in the land of Moab, across from Jericho. View the land of Canaan, which I give to the children of Israel as a possession, and die on the mountain which you ascend. And be gathered to your people, just as Aaron your brother died on Mount Hor and was gathered to his people. Because you trespassed against me among the children of Israel at the waters of Meribah Kadesh in the wilderness of Zin, because you did not hollow me in the midst of the children of Israel. Yet you shall see the land before you, though you shall not go there into the land which I am giving to the children of Israel. If you were Moses, just out of curiosity, would you want to see the land? You know, you're like, okay, I can't go in. And God says, you're going to die now. Go up in the mountain. I just want you to see it. You know, what about you? (laughs) Some of you here are probably, you know, on the bitter side. You say, no, I don't want to. I'm not going to see it, you know. Um, This was kind of like Moses' uh, dream. He brought them out of Egypt, which, if you think about it, was absolutely phenomenal. He led them through the wilderness for 40 years. Absolutely phenomenal. He talked with God face to face. He'd go up on the mountain. He was an amazing leader. But the one thing that he wanted to do probably most, as far as ministry goes, was to lead them into the land. And he wasn't able to do it. You know, and, and I and I'm just want to share with you guys, man, to learn from that. You know, like the one thing that I think you're made to do, it can be short-circuited if you let your guard down. You know, Moses, uh, to whom much was a given, much is required, Luke 12, 48, um, he blew it, right? Then God said, speak to the rock. And so what he did is he struck the rock twice. Must we give you water, you rebels, right? You're like, wait a minute, time out. Who's giving the water? We? Moses said, must we give you the water? Oh, no, Moses, it's not you. Who do you think you are? You're nothing. It's God. And he didn't hollow God, right? He got angry with God. He misrepresented God. He thought it was him. He thought he was something now because God had used him so much to do so many miracles. He thought it was him. They need me. No, they don't need you. They don't need me. They need God. We can never get there. Be careful if you ever start getting there. Flee from that spot. Otherwise, the one thing that you would have wanted most will not be given to you. It's always the Lord. Now, in looking at this right here, I will close with this, man. To me, it's bittersweet. But if I could say this, it's more sweet than bitter. And you're like, I'm sorry, man, but that's just the way that I feel. Because I was reading this right here and I was thinking, you know what? Although he didn't do everything, he didn't do everything on planet Earth, he's going home. (laughs) Moses is going home into heaven. And he's going to be gathered with his, you know, fathers. And, you know, he's going to see his his mom. And he's going to see his dad. And he's going to see his brother. He's going to see his sister. He's going to see... You know, undoubtedly, 40 years in the wilderness and getting to know people. And, oh, I miss, 
you know, and I don't want to say any names because it might be your name, you know, but, you know, I miss them. And then you run it in your heaven and see it's the ministry of reconciliation because heaven is not just a destination, it's a motivation. And to me, when I think about that day, you know, when I cross the line, you know, that day, you know, I know I'm not the man Moses was. I know that. But, you know, I might not do everything, but I want to do something. I want to do the best that I can. But to be honest with you, I'd rather be home. Because that's where my God is. And that's what we're ultimately made for, where there's no more tears, there's no more sorrow, there's no more pain. When I was reading this right here, I was just longing for my home. God, I can't wait until that day that I'm gathered to my fathers. See? And I think that's cool. It's a warning to us. Don't get me wrong. You know, don't start messing around because you're thinking, oh, I don't have to worry about it. You know, I want you to do good and I want you to finish, but I want you more than anything else to stay in that relationship with Jesus Christ, man. That one day, like, you know, we always talk about, there's going to be that reconciliation. I've shared with you guys before about Stephen Curtis Chapman, about how his... um, his little girl uh, passed away, and she, uh, she she died, you know. She went home to be with the Lord. And he's got a song that's called Heaven is the Face, and it kind of talks a little bit about that, about how him, for him now, you know, he wants to see her. And if, you know, think about it, a four-year-old little girl dying. Your, four little, your four-year-old little girl dying. And, you know, she's in heaven. There's got to be a party that wants to be there, right? And to him, he was like, well, that's kind of what heaven is. And he wrote this song. I don't know if you can get it without the music, but I'll read it to you. It says, heaven is the face of a little girl with dark brown eyes that disappear when she smiles. Because she was Asian, Asian, so when she smiled, her eyes would disappear, you know? (laughs) It says, heaven is the place where she calls my name, says, daddy, please come. Play with me for a while. And God, I know it's all of this and so much more, but God, you know that this is what I'm aching for. And God, you know I just can't see beyond the door. And so right now, heaven is the sound of her breathing deep, lying on my chest, falling fast asleep while I sing. And heaven is the weight of her in my arms, being there to keep her safe from harm while she dreams. But in my mind's eye, I can see a place where your glory fills every empty space. All the cancer's gone. Every mouth is fed. And there's no one left in the orphan's bed. Every lonely heart finds their one true love. And there's no more goodbye. And there's no more not enough. And there's no more enemy. You have to hear that in the song. And then he says this right here. Heaven is a sweet maple syrup kiss. And a thousand other little things I miss with her gone. Heaven is the place where she takes my hand and leads me to you. And we both run into your arms. You see, he was gathered to his fathers. It's a ministry of reconciliation. Reconciliation to God and reconciliation to our loved ones that are there kind of like waiting for. And so it's bittersweet. You know, it's bittersweet. It's like, man, I wish Moses would have gone in. But, you know, he went home.
And one day we're all going to cross that bridge. You guys, we're all going to die. And we're either going to go to heaven or to hell. And if you don't know Jesus Christ, then I beg you today, give your life to him so that when you die, you can go to heaven. Father, we thank you so much, Lord, for allowing us to be here today, Lord, and um, just thanking you for the lesson, Lord. Uh, To me, I want to be obedient. It doesn't make any sense not to. Give us the strength and the power of your Holy Spirit, Lord, and help us even to think of heaven, Lord. Help us to to long for that. Because I know this, Lord, as I think of being with you one day, it even helps me now, uh, hopefully to be a better man. And so, Lord, I thank you for my brothers and sisters that are here. Father, bless them, encourage them. Uh, Bless each and every one. And if there's any here that don't know you, Lord, today, I pray in the name of Jesus Christ, Lord, that they would be saved. We love you, Lord. And we pray together in Jesus' name.